Thanks, guys. It's good to wait on Jesus. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I am expectant today. And I often am when I come to church. I think that's good, you know. You're going to be with the people of God. You should be expectant for something. But today I feel like heavy expectant. And it's always fun because I, I don't know what God's going to do with that. Yeah. It's amazing that this, this God wants to speak to us, isn't it? It's amazing that he wants to partner with us, to, to connect with us. And I think we can often get a bit flippant about that and a bit like, yeah, cool, Jesus, cool, great. But... This is God. God has come to share with you. He's he's come to, to speak and connect and unite with you. God, right? Like that's that's a big deal. <sighs> yeah. And so we're going to talk about this guy called Paul today. And we're going to talk about his story and his encounter with this God. And so we are in the book of Acts. And we find ourselves now about to go into Acts 22. And Paul has just been arrested. And there's this angry mob who wants him dead. And so Paul decides he's going to speak to this angry mob who wants him dead. Now, I don't know about you. But if there was an angry mob who wanted me dead, I don't think I'd want to talk to them. That's just my personal opinion. But, you know, Paul, to each his own, that's fine. And so he goes and he speaks to them. And in this moment of opportunity, he could have done a lot, right? He could have debated theology with them. He could have um, made some excuses or explanations for his behavior and actions. But he doesn't. He shares his story. He shares his personal encounter and testimony of Jesus. And so before we even get into the actual scripture, I just need you to know right now that your story is important. Your testimony, what God has done in your life and what he's doing in your life is incredibly significant. And it's incredibly impactful and it's incredibly powerful. Because here's the thing, people can debate my theology all the live long day, right? They can tell me my beliefs are wrong or weird or wonky or whatever they want, but no one can take away my story because I lived it. So you can't tell me Jesus doesn't heal because I've seen him do it. And you can't tell me that Jesus doesn't change and transform hearts and lives because I know what my heart and life looks like before him. So your story 
can do stuff. It's powerful. It can change things. It, we're, we'll see in a moment how Paul's story literally changes this angry mob who wants them dead. So we're going to start right in the beginning, at verse 1 of chapter 22. It'll come up on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you. Remember, this is Paul speaking to a predominantly Jewish crowd that wants him dead. Okay, that's the scene. He says, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. Pause there for a moment. Because a lot just happened. And in our 21st century mindset, we can kind of like skip over it, but something really significant just happened here, okay? So firstly, Paul addresses them as brothers and fathers. So he's making a connection with them. He's saying, listen, like, we're the same community. I'm one of you. I'm a a part of this with you, right? And he chooses to speak in the Hebrew language, which given the situation he was in and the geographical region he was in, Greek potentially made more sense here, but he doesn't do that. He speaks in the language of the Jews to once again connect him with them, to once again say like, look, I was just like you. I was zealous just like you are today. This is who I am, right? Like, like I get where you're at. So you can trust the story I'm about to tell you. And then he says that he was educated by Gamaliel, which like means nothing, right? Like who's Gamaliel? Well, He's, Gamaliel's a big deal. <laughs> he's kind of um, like the Oxford-Cambridge equivalent of Torah study, okay? He's like the top guy. And I was even trying to think of a, like a Christian theologian that I could compare him to. But honestly, I can't think of anyone that is as like universally recognized as like he knows his stuff as Gamaliel was at the time, Okay. So Paul's not only saying, listen, I'm, I'm like you, I'm part of this Jewish community, I'm, je- I'm zealous just like you, but also, I like really know my stuff. I know the laws, I know what's up, right? And then he sets that scene, he builds that connection, and then he shares the meat of his story, which we'll see in verse 6. He says, As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now, those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, brother Saul, receive your sight. And in that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. 
And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So basically, to summarize, Paul was a bad dude. He was not a good guy, right? He was literally a mass murderer. He was killing Christians. He was torturing and imprisoning them. In fact, he's literally on his way to Damascus to do just that. But then Jesus. All of a sudden, Jesus comes into the story. And just like that, everything changes. His whole world is changed. And so he's telling this story, and they're listening. They're kind of eating it up, right? They're, they're actually being silenced as he's sharing this incredible story of who the Lord is. And then things turn a little bit sour for Paul, as we'll see in verse 21. Remember, this is Paul speaking and sharing his story. So he says, And he, the Lord, said to me, Paul, uh, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. It's a good question, isn't it? Like, why are they so intent on getting this man killed? They were angry, and then they were okay, and now they're angry again. What's going on? Why is that happening? Well, verse 21 is the key. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. It is at that very word that the, the crowd kicks off. Because the Jews did not like the Gentiles. They did not like the non-Jews. In fact, they often tried to live their lives as separately as possible from the Gentiles. Why? Because they were the chosen ones, and only then. God was for the Jews and the Jews alone, the Messiah, the kingdom of God. It was for them. He was coming back for them and them alone. Definitely not the Gentiles. And so what Paul is saying here is, crazy. It's, it's revolutionary. It's mind-blowing that actually the Messiah and the King isn't just for the Jews. He's, he's for everyone. They, they couldn't fathom this. What Paul is saying in that the Jews and Gentiles were equal, that they had equal access to God. And so the crowd just cannot accept this, and they kick off and they start demanding for his execution again. But Paul doesn't really do himself any favors in this story. Because he could have just said this wonderful thing of like, oh, look, this is who I was, this is who, what Jesus did, who he is, like, wow, isn't this amazing, cool. But he, he puts this one line in about the Gentiles knowing that the crowd is not going to like it, knowing that they're going to get angry, knowing that they're probably going to demand for his death again. 
but he shares it anyway. He speaks it out anyway because it's the truth. He knows it's the truth. God has always been for all people. The the message of salvation is for everyone, and it doesn't matter what your religious background is or what your status is or, or anything. His message is for all. That's the truth. And Paul knows this truth, and he knows he's called to speak it out. And so he says yes. He says yes to this call, yes to standing on the truth of who Jesus is, knowing that it's going to cost him. Paul's choice to to make this stand for the Gentiles, Paul's decision to follow the Lord Jesus, it cost him everything. He was a Pharisee. He was one of the religious elite. So it cost him his career, the comforts and privileges and, and provision that that would have offered him. It cost him his community. The Jewish community doesn't want to be his friend anymore. They want him dead. It cost him everything. It's it's potentially about to cost him his literal life, right? But he decides it's worth it because he had this moment where he knows that Jesus is Lord. And if Jesus is Lord, then nothing else matters. that the cost of following the Lord, whatever the cost might be, is worth it. I was chatting with some friends a few weeks ago, and they've had a few hard years. And they've, um, they had a family member die, and they had a miscarriage, and they've had other family members get diagnosed with terminal illness, and then for COVID and a variety of reasons, they were isolated from their community and from their biological family, and just... It's just been a a hard few years for them. And so we were talking about that, talking about the pain of that. And I was sharing my losses of the last few years and my losses of the many years of following Jesus and just the suffering of it all and the, the suffering of life and Jesus in the suffering. So we're having this conversation and we're holding hands and we're looking each other in the eye, both weeping, And we just kept saying, oh, but isn't he worth it? Isn't Jesus worth it? Isn't he worth the cost of pain and suffering and everything he asks of us? Jesus. We don't always like to talk about the cost, though, do we? And that's because for a lot of us, following Jesus can be pretty convenient if we let it, right? We choose convenience over the cost of following Jesus over and over and over again. We choose it over our morning routines. You know, we scroll through Instagram or or do some some work emails instead of spending time with him, instead of reading our Bible or, or praying. We choose convenience over the cost of following him in our workplaces as we put money first or, or we don't stand up for integrity. 
We choose convenience over the cost of following Jesus in, in our relationships, in our finances, in, in all these decisions that we make. But following Jesus is not about convenience. It's not about ease. It's not about feeling nice. Following Jesus isn't even about like being a good person. Following Jesus is about knowing that Jesus is Lord, that this God, capital G God, loved you so much he gave up everything. He bankrupt heaven just to be with you, to make a way to have union with you for now and all eternity. That because of that, because of who he is, that he is worthy of everything in our hearts and lives. That's what following Jesus is about. It's about knowing that and knowing that despite our best efforts to keep Jesus reserved for Sundays or to put him in a box or to ignore his convictions and callings, that he still thinks we're the best plan for this world. Despite all of that, and I include myself in all of that, despite that, he still thinks that partnering with us is the best plan to bring his kingdom here. That's what following Jesus is about. Jesus, there's a cost to it though, right? There's a cost to following Jesus. It might cost you it might cost you your friends. It cost me my friends. When I first met Jesus, within three months, I lost all my friends because we were all party crew, and no one wanted to hang out with sober Sarah. They didn't. So within three months, I had lost all my friends. I, even my own family, when I first got saved, they thought I was brainwashed. That was literally conversations I had with my family members that I was brainwashed and I had joined a cult. I lost a lot there. Then I was called to the nations and I legitimately had to sell everything I owned. I I literally sold everything I owned except these boots, this ring, and a bumpet, which if you don't know what a bumpet is, this is embarrassing, but it's like this thing you put in your hair to make it big. It was 2009, and I had my priorities, okay? Like, but it, it cost me my career. It cost me relationships. He called me to England, and guess what? This cost me something. I haven't seen my family in years. I don't get to see my nieces and nephew grow up, but I've decided the cost is worth it because Jesus is worth it. I don't know what he's, it's going to cost you. I don't. It's, it's individual, right? It might cost you your job or your friends. It might cost you your dignity or your credibility. It might cost you your literal life. That's, that's a thing that happens. We have brothers and sisters in Christ right now, today in Afghanistan, who are going to be killed because they refuse to deny that Jesus is Lord. That's happening right now. And we can't even get to church on time. We can't even give him 
one Sunday a month to, to serve in, in setup or kids or, or joy cafe or, or whatever it might be that he's inviting you into. We can't even stop sleeping with our boyfriends and girlfriends or stop watching that show he keeps convicting us of. And honestly, it makes me really sad for Jesus. And listen, there's, there's, hear my heart on this, because I'm not trying to judge or condemn or shame. There might be legitimate reasons where you can't do certain things, right? Like, like maybe God has specifically said to you, this is a season of rest, so don't serve. Maybe you've just had a baby or you have young kids. Maybe, you know, you're watching online instead of being here in person because you're sick or you're shielding or you don't feel safe yet. Like, these are all you know, good reasons. So, so hear my heart in this. If, if that's you, that's not, I'm not talking to you in this moment about that. But I also know for a fact that some of you are just watching online because it's convenient. Because you'd rather be paddleboarding and then maybe catch up tonight. Or, you know, you're, you... You just watch online, or, or, or you come, but then you, you leave at the first sound of the last song. You sprint out, you know. You're doing that because actually you don't want to connect. You don't want to engage. You, you just want to be fed. And I get that, but because... Because I love you, i got to be honest with y'all, and i got to tell you the truth that you're missing out. You're missing out on Jesus. Because church and, and because following Jesus itself, it's, it's not about getting fed through a screen or, or coming once for an hour a week. That's, that's not what following him is. And so you're missing out. You're, it's, it's about engaging with the creator of the universe. It's about engaging with this family that he loves and believes in. Jesus. There's um, a Bible teacher called Jackie Hill Perry. And she says that if Jesus is just good but not God, then the command to follow him is optional. If Jesus is just good but not God, then the command to follow him is optional. Jesus is good. He's really good. If you ask him to, he will be your best friend and the lover of your soul. He's really good. He's also God. He's also the only one found worthy of opening the scrolls up in heaven. He's also the, the great deliverer, the one who set an entire nation free by parting and a sea. That's who Jesus is, right? He's the, he's the God who's not coming back as a baby again, but is coming back as a warrior God, a conquering king on a white horse with a tattoo on his thigh and a sword coming out of his mouth. That's Jesus. He's, he's the name above every other name who someday every knee is going to bow to and every tongue's going to confess. That's who Jesus is. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is God. And so the command to follow him 
is not optional. Jesus. Paul had a moment on the road to Damascus when he knew this. When he knew that he knew that he knew that Jesus is Lord. And it changed everything. And I am so thankful for that moment. I am so thankful for Paul's testimony. And I'm so thankful for this story in Acts 22 where he makes a stand for Gentiles. Because let me point something out to y'all. We're Gentiles. Okay? There might be a few of us in, in the room or, or watching online who, uh, who were born into the Jewish faith or born into Jewish culture or lineage, but the vast majority of us, that's not the case. So we're Gentiles. So we can actually trace our salvation back to this moment, to the moment where Paul made a stand and said, Jesus is Lord and he's Lord for everyone. I praise Jesus for the testimony and courage of Paul because it means I get a testimony. I get to know Jesus because of this. Because Paul counted the cost of following the Lord. And he said, he's worth it. Jesus is worth it. Whatever it costs me, Jesus is worth it. Jesus. Jesus.